John 14, verse 25, the text says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, we've been working our way through John chapter 14 for quite some time now. We're looking at the instruction and the spiritual provision that the Lord is making and promising to his disciples who are anxious in spirit because of his imminent departure. And the Lord is with his uh, 11 true uh, disciples there in the upper room. Again, just hours before he's going to be arrested in the middle of the night on early Friday morning and then led to a crucifixion later that uh, afternoon. And although he will no longer be visibly present with his disciples, the Lord is promising them they won't be left alone. He has promised them and then all subsequent believers that are four, there are four permanent spiritual or four permanent sources of power and comfort for the believer. Number one is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Number two is his own presence. Number three is the presence of the Father. And then the presence of the truth, number four. And he is going to tell them in chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord's going to tell them it's to their advantage that he departs, that if he departs, he'll send this person, the Holy Spirit, uh, who will come alongside and not just be with them, but one who will actually dwell within them. And he'll be there forever. Look at verses 16 and 17. I will ask uh, the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Then in verses 18 to 20, he says, look, I'm not going to leave you fatherless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you again. And again, he's going to promise to them his very presence. And what he's saying is when my death, again, they don't know what's going to happen. He does. What he's saying is, look, my death won't be the end of our relationship. You just need to trust me. Verse 14, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me. Because I live, you shall also live. And that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Again, it's the promise of his presence. Verse 21 to 24, he promises them the the presence of the Father. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, John says, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does, or he who does not love me does not keep my word and the word which you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me Uh, again we've worked our way through all that material previously but it's just wonderful truth wonderful encouraging truth uh, that the lord is uh, giving to his disciples who are again anxious in in spirit and it's really truth that tells us what it really means to be a christian i I think i said this last time being a christian is not believing a certain amount of information and that's in, in part of it but really when you get to the bottom line the core of what it is Uh, To be a Christian means that the moment that you repent, the moment you repent and believe upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you enter into, or we enter into, a personal, constant, unending, eternal communion and relationship with the Godhead. The moment we repent, the moment we believe, things change. We enter into a personal, constant, unending, eternal communion and relationship with the Godhead. 
with all three members, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It really is an utterly amazing uh, reality, an absolutely utterly amazing reality. Therefore, the command to Christ or from Christ to his followers, again at the top of the chapter, is let not your heart be troubled. And listen to me, this is advice we probably ought to take in. We probably ought to listen to, let not your heart be troubled. He's saying, look, you'll never be alone. You are never alone. I'm always with you. promise of Christ to his followers is I'm with you even to the end of the age. It's a profound truth, a profound reality. It's truth that we need to speak to ourselves, and we need to speak that truth to ourselves often. Especially when we find ourselves in times of discouragement. In times of uh, when we're being tempted to self-pity. When, when we're tempted to believe the lie that nobody cares and that we're all alone. The reality of the fact is, by the words of Christ, we're never alone. Ever. We need to speak that truth to ourselves often. We need to stop listening to ourselves and the lies of the devil and speak truth to our own hearts. Now, in the context of the story, it's time for Christ to depart. And these men still need a knowledge of the truth, a source of truth. He's been their source of truth for the last three and a half years or so. And in his absence, they're going to still be in need of teaching, in need of truth. And that's why the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to send the Holy Spirit in Christ's name, and the Holy Spirit is going to continue to teach concerning the truth. Verse 25 says, These things, and in the context, it's really all the things the Father has spoken, uh, the Father's words, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you or dwelling with you. Again, just as he's promised not to leave them alone without a source of comfort, he's promising to not leave them alone without a source of truth. And again, the promise is to send the Holy Spirit, who, verse 17 says, he is the spirit of truth. Verse 26, Jesus says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, whom the Father will send in my name or on my behalf. Again, just like the Father sent Christ into the world to disclose the truth to us, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, who will act again in harmony with the desires and purposes of Christ and continue to reveal truth to the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, note here what it says here. He will teach you all things. He'll bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Again, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that we need to understand and grasp a hold of. He is the teacher of truth. I've said it to you before. I'll say it again this morning. Truth is the most important thing that exists in the world. Truth is the most important thing that exists in the world, the most precious treasure that God could ever, <coughs> excuse me, give or reveal to men, the truth. Because God, the Father, is the God of truth. He sent his Son, the person of truth, into the world to reveal himself to men. First uh, Timothy 2, chapter 4, uh, Paul says, God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. The heart of God is he's the compassionate God. The heart of God is he's the saving God. But men can't come to salvation apart from the truth. Apart from truth, there's nothing left except lies. And that's the world in which we live. The world in which we live is a world full of lies. Over top of this world full of lies is the prince of the power of the air. Uh, he is the master deceiver, the father of all lies. Again, the world and all of life 
is dominated by him. Therefore, what men desperately need most is the truth. Because they're trapped in his kingdom of darkness, trapped in his kingdom of lies. And they can't escape that dark kingdom without a knowledge of the truth. And again, that's why God the Father, again, the God of truth, sent truth incarnate, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how the book began, chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. Glory was the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, verse 17. The law was given through Moses, and grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who said, John 8, verse 32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. A little bit further in that chapter, verse 40, to all the false religious leaders of Israel, he says, You are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Verse 45, I speak the truth, but you do not believe me. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, or but through me. Men, listen, men desperately need a knowledge of the truth. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth or hold down the truth and unrighteousness. Verse 25 says of that chapter, They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what Romans chapter 1 tells us is that when men suppress the truth... Uh, of God and unrighteousness, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. I mean, you see it everywhere. It's all around us. Save the planet. We're talking about this this morning in the elders meeting. Listen to me, whoever's watching, who's ever listening. This world's got a thousand and seven years in it, I guarantee you, at least. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, you can go back and read Psalm 2, who will reign over the nations. The book of the Revelation tells us it's going to be a thousand years. The book of Revelation also tells us there's a seven-year time period of tribulation on this world, right? This world is not going anywhere anytime soon. This world does not belong to the green agenda. This world does not belong to politicians or whoever else is trying to make money duping people into believing a lie. If we don't do something in the next five years, ten years, the whole thing's going to be gone and we're not going to be alive. The problem is most of the people that they're telling that to don't have this color hair. This color hair, yes, thank you, this color hair, gray hair, has lived through this. And, and I don't even know. The people that got gray hair in the room are going like this because we've heard this for like the last 50 years. It, it, it's, it's the coming, uh, it, it, it's, it's the, the, the global warming. And then it was global cooling. In the 70s, we were going to have a, we were going to have a uh, uh, ice age. And now it's global warming, except when that doesn't work, and then it's just uh, climate change. Hey, guess what? Climate changes all the time. Man, live in, live in Ohio, right? <laughs> you don't like the climate, wait 15 minutes, it'll be drastically different. Men don't have that power. I was talking to one of my sons the other day and saying, look, we just have to live according to the truth. We have to live out our theology. And not be yanked around by a world <clears throat> full of lies like the unbelievers are being yanked around. What happens when you suppress the truth and unrighteousness, when you exchange the truth of God for a lie, you worship and serve the creation or the creature rather than the creator. 
Now, again, I didn't say, you know, throw your trash out in the road. I didn't say that, you know, dump your stuff in the, in the water. Everybody would like to have clean water, clean things, right? I'm not saying that, so don't take it to the other extreme. We need to be good stewards. But the planet belongs to God. And what happens when we continue to go down this direction uh, of rejecting the truth or suppressing the truth is God gives us over to a depraved mind, a mind that doesn't function properly. And I've said it often to you, and I'll say it again this morning, that's exactly what you're seeing. It's exactly what you're seeing. Not only in this country, but all around the world. There's a rejection where there's a rejection of the truth. To believe that a man somehow can all of a sudden become a woman because he declares himself to be a woman, and I need to believe that men can give birth, that's, that's a, an example of a depraved mind working. Well, I'll say, that's an example of a depraved mind on display not working properly. It's a lie against the truth. And, and again, in, in this country around the world, listen, it's not a matter if judgment is coming Judgment has already started. And as believers, we have to realize that. We need to get our bearings. We need to understand where we're at. Judgment's already started. In the Bible, obviously, you've got different kinds of wrath. You have cataclysmic wrath, like in the, the day of Noah and the flood. You have eschatological wrath, like what's going to come during the time of the tribulation. But this is the wrath of abandonment. You, you should look. Go, go. I wasn't going to have you turn to it, but I am. Turn to, turn to, to, to Romans chapter 1. You've read this before, and I've told it to you before numbers of times. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, because they've abandoned the truth, suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, Romans chapter 1, verse 24, therefore God returns the favor. God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them at sexual perversions of all kinds. Sexual revolution of the 60s in our context. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, vile affections, it says in the uh, King James Version. Female and male homosexuality. Verse 28, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. That's the active wrath of God's abandonment. A rejection of the truth leads to God giving men over to a depraved mind, a mind that doesn't work properly. And again, if you're older like I am, you look and go, well, that was a really bad decision that they made, so let's make three more that are even infinitely worse than the last ones they made. And that's what the depraved mind does, because it doesn't work because it has rejected the truth. And I don't want to be a discouragement to you, but I want to tell you the truth. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Write it down and look at it later this afternoon, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Reject the truth and nothing but judicial judgment awaits with coming greater acts of God's judgment. So what men desperately need to know in this world is the truth. And the only source of true truth in this world world, is God and his word, as revealed by God to men, taught to men by the person of the Holy Spirit. Reject the truth, and you end up in judgment. Reject the truth, and you end up in tremendous amounts of error, all kinds of lies. And I've told you this before, I really don't think the devil cares what lie you believe, just as long as you believe a lie and don't believe the truth. 
And there's just all kinds of them. And you reject the truth, you believe lies, and you cut yourself off from salvation. I don't know if you've seen it recently. It just came out not too long ago, a few weeks ago. Have you seen the, uh, the newest state of theology survey that's uh, released by Legionnaire Ministries and Lifeway Research? <clears throat> they uh, had a little uh, uh, excerpt of it in, in Christianity Today on September 27th, 2022. The article in Christianity Today was Top Five Heresies Among American Evangelicals. And the article notes that the overall, overall adults in the United States are moving further and further away from orthodox understandings of God and his word year after year. The article says now more than half of the country, 53%, now believe scripture not to be literally true. 53%. That's up from 41% when this biannual survey began in 2014. The researchers called the rejection of the divine authorship of the Bible, this is their words, the clearest and most consistent trend over the last years of data. United States evangelicals, and they defined it like this, by belief in church affiliation, uh, uh, U.S. evangelicals, again, defined by belief in church affiliation, uh, share common convictions. Well over 90%, they said, agree that God is perfect. God exists in three persons. Jesus was bodily, Jesus' bodily resurrection was real. And people are, are not made righteous by uh, works, but through faith. I have a hard time believing that 90% of anybody believes that in evangelicalism. But I'll take it as it is. Self-professed uh, United States evangelicals. Uh, even amongst that group that were surveyed in uh, 2022, one quarter of the evangelicals, 26%, said the Bible is not literally true. That's up from 15% just two years ago, right? 26% of self-professed evangelicals says the Bible's not true. They also became more likely to consider religious belief a matter of personal opinion and not about objective truth. 38% said that in 2022 as compared to 23% in 2020. So it's trending the wrong direction. So here are the five most common mistaken beliefs by Again, quote-unquote, evangelicals as revealed in this uh, year's survey. Number one, Jesus is not the only way to God. Jesus isn't the only way to God. More than half, 56% of evangelical respondents, affirm that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. It's up uh, from 42% two years ago. 56% says Jesus isn't the way to God. So as the writers note, the guys who compile the survey note, there's a tend, uh, a bent towards universalism. All, all religious systems are like Many ways to get to God. Just bypass Jesus. It doesn't matter. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6. Second major error. Jesus was a created being. Jesus was a created being created by God. 73% agree with the statement, Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God. Now let me tell you what, that's not just error, that's outright heresy. That's heresy. Condemned as such all the way back in the early church, back in the 4th century, the Council of Nicaea, it's known as the Arian heresy. Third major error. Jesus is not God. 43% of so-called evangelicals affirm Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Again, it goes completely against what the text of Scripture teaches, completely against what... 
Jesus said in many passages of Scripture, uh, for example, one of the ones we studied a while back, John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Now, the Jewish authorities understood exactly what he was saying, claiming a right to deity because they took up stones to stone him for blasphemy, but he claimed nevertheless to be that because that's exactly who he is. So to deny the, the deity of Christ, to deny his unity with the, the Father and, and the, uh, as a co-equal member of the Trinity, uh, again, has, has been considered what's classical Orthodox belief from the time of the early church, but to deny that is to go against uh, the teaching uh, of the Bible. The fourth great error that is commonly believed by most so-called evangelicals today is the Holy Spirit is not a personal being. We just talked about this a couple of weeks ago. 60% of evangelicals surveyed or confused about the third member of the Trinity, believing that the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. 63%. 60%. X chapter 5. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land while it remained unsold and are not made in your own? While it was sold, it was not, was it not under your control. This is why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. And they heard these words, and Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and fear came upon all who heard it. God's a person, the Holy Spirit's a person, and the Holy Spirit's God. He's not a power source. Fifth great error, commonly believed by most so-called evangelicals today, is humans aren't sinful by nature. Humans are not sinful by nature. 57% agreed to the statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. That's a denial of the doctrine of original sin. Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 12, just as one through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Why is there death? Because all men sin. How much has sin affected and infected the world? All across the board, everyone, because all sin, all die, right? The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 3, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They become useless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now listen, if men don't see themselves as sinners in a desperate situation before a holy God, then they don't see their need of what? Whom? They don't, need to, they don't see their need of a what? A Savior, right? And if they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to God... If they only believe that he's merely a created being and not God incarnate, then there's no salvation available for men. Because we need somebody who's perfect. Perfect man to die for men. Perfect God, because men aren't perfect, right? Only one person can be the substitute. Deny the deity, humanity of Christ. You put yourself in a position where there's no salvation available. Deny the fact of the Holy Spirit not being a person, then men who believe in these kind of errors have cut themselves off from truth because they've cut themselves off of biblical revelation, the only source of true truth. And a proper understanding of salvation found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is because, again, he is the only way that men can be saved. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you don't go through him, you're not going to the Father. So again, apart from a knowledge of the truth, illuminated by the person of the Holy Spirit, men can never find truth. Therefore, they remain trapped in Satan's kingdom of lies. Trapped in the 
lies in the darkness of their own unregenerate minds. It's a pretty sad commentary, isn't it, on modern quote-unquote evangelicalism. And it's a pretty sad commentary on the state of the modern so-called quote-unquote evangelical church. Because the vast majority of it can't discern truth from error. Jesus says, John 3 and 32, you, or John 8 and 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Men need the truth. Make sure back in John 14, men desperately need the truth. And so in the context of John 14, Christ has promised his disciples, I'm going to leave you with, not alone, but I'm going to leave you with a source of truth, indwelling source of truth. Not just to be with you, but again, one who will be within you. Again, verse 25, these things, again, all the Father has spoken, the Father's words, these things I spoke to you while I was with you or while I was abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So first off, we need to note the statement in the historical contents. It is primarily a reference to the apostles in front of him. That's where it goes first, right? The, the 11 true apostles in front of the, the Lord Jesus, right? Uh, the one whom the Lord has chosen, the ones that are going to be his authoritative uh, representatives, his spokesmen for, for uh, men, or his spokesmen to men to reveal truth uh, that he would reveal to them. Uh, they're the ones that are going to remember the truth. Therefore, they're the ones that are going to remember it, but they're also going to write it down and record it. And it would come to us as we have in our hands the New Testament, teaching that will become normative for the church. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. John chapter 15, verse 26 says, The Helper, when he comes, whom I will send you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness of me. The Holy Spirit comes. He's going to take you to the truth, teach you the truth, remind you the truth, bear witness of me. Uh, John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's not going to speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll disclose to you what is to come. So that's the helper. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now, he's not speaking, just for by way of clarification, he's not speaking to some kind of, taking us to some kind of position of omnipotence, or, uh, 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 um, uh, omniscience where we know everything he's not saying the Holy Spirit is going to come and teach you absolutely everything you should ever know or could know possibly be known that things are only known to God he's not saying that he's not taking it to some kind of extreme when he says all things he's really saying things concerning the gospel truths concerning me the, the person of Christ my life death, burial, resurrection all that I did what that means uh, how a man is reconciled unto God how, how man's salvation is secured uh, again that unique ministry begins in the uh, life of the apostles he teaches them. He brings it to their understanding because, again, uh, their uh, understanding eventually is going to be penned into the New Testament text. And as he continues to teach them, initially, uh, they didn't understand everything that he taught them, right? Christ didn't, they, they didn't understand everything that initially was said by Christ. Uh, for instance, John chapter 2, verse 22. Jesus was speaking about destroying the temple and then three days restoring it up. And he was re- referencing his body. Uh, it says, John 2 and 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead... His disciples remembered what he said or that he said this, and then they believed the scripture and the word which had been spoken by Jesus, right? They didn't have a full understanding. I mean, when, when Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I'm going to rise it up. All the Jewish religious authorities, they don't have the Holy Spirit going, well, this thing took like 46 years to build, and you're going to raise it up in three days. They didn't have a spiritual understanding. These guys didn't get it until afterwards. 
after he was raised. Then they remembered by the work of the Holy Spirit, and they, have a, they came to a proper understanding. John 12, 16, Jesus, he's riding into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey's colt, and there's all those cries of Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right, the King of Israel. And then verse 16, John 12, verse 16, these things the disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things were written of him and that he had done these things, right? So the person of the Holy Spirit teaches, but he continues to expand uh, uh, in their understanding after the time of the resurrection. So Jesus is turning over to the, the disciples or turning these disciples over uh, to, for continual instruction of the person of the Holy Spirit, one who's going to now indwell them. Again, he's the one who'd been their teacher. He's the one who'd been walking with them for three or three and a half years or so. But yet there was much truth they still did not understand. So he's going to turn them over to the resident, the in-resident truth teller, to dwell within them and continue to remind them uh, of what they have been taught. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, look what it says again, verse 26, he, he will teach you. Again, he's not some kind of impersonal power. He's a person. He will teach you. He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, again, then, got to uh, make the observation that the disciples have a need for teaching. These things I have spoken, the helper of the Holy Spirit, he will teach you. Just because the Lord spoke something to them, again, doesn't mean they learned it. It doesn't mean they have understanding at the moment. I, I just pointed out the fact that the disciples were confused on a, a couple of different issues. Right? They, they were in need of learning Therefore, they were in need of teaching, but they had a lot that they did not fully understand. And just like we all are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit, a continual teaching. But note, the entire Godhead is involved in this. The entire Trinity desires that men would know the truth. Verse 26, the helper, that's the third person of the Trinity, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father, first person of the Trinity, will send in my name, second person of the trinity right so the entire godhead is there he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i said to you again it's really all things concerning the person of christ that's what men need men need a greater understanding of the person of jesus christ again john 15 26 when the helper comes whom i send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness of me john 16 13 when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth so listen, God the Father, who is the God of truth, sends Jesus Christ, the person of truth, incarnate, truth incarnate, into the world. He's going to leave. Christ says, I'm going to give you a helper, a comforter, but he is the spirit of truth, and he's going to come and dwell within you. And the Holy Spirit's going to continue to teach you my word. The Holy Spirit's going to make sure that you, sitting here in this room, have a word that has been preserved by God through the person of the Holy Spirit, in a language that you can understand because God is a revealer and God wants you to know the truth. That's the order. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, again, all wanting you to know the truth because God desires that men would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You can't come to a knowledge of the truth without the truth. And again, the Holy Spirit taught these uh, apostles. Again, the proof is we have our Bibles. And you can see it uh, 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 here in a kind of a miniature uh, picture here when you think about peter uh, turn back to the book of matthew go, go to matthew chapter 16 you remember the story matthew 16 verse 21 
Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began rebuking him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Interesting. Turn over to the book of Acts, just a few weeks later. Acts, after the crucifixion, Acts chapter 2. After the crucifixion, after Christ's death, Acts chapter, 20, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter stands up and gives this bold announcement of what occurred just a few weeks ago in Jerusalem at the crucifixion. He's saying, look, I've got a different perspective on this thing before it happened and after it happened. He says it's all by the foreordained plan and knowledge of God. Acts 2, verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed him, uh, through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. That's learning, right? He never went to seminary. It's just a few weeks previous that all this happened. But he learned, again, and he learned quickly. That's the doctrine of illumination. That's the doctrine of illumination. That's the work of the Holy Spirit opening the eyes of one to comprehend meaning of truth, meaning of the Scripture. It was the person of the Holy Spirit who illuminated the mind of Peter to understand that truth. And through Peter's spirit-empowered understanding, through Peter's spirit-empowered teaching on that day in the early New Testament church, there in the book of Acts, it says some 3,000 souls repented and were added to the church. That must have been a powerful sermon. The proclamation of the truth, the proclamation of the command to repent, be saved from this perverse generation, verse 38, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people convert. The doctrine of illumination. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, opening the minds of people to understand the truth. Look back into the book of uh, Luke, Luke chapter 24. It's on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24. I'll pick it up in verse 25. Lord's with some of the disciples on the road to Emmaus after his death, after his resurrection. And again, the men don't understand what's happening. They're discouraged. Luke 24, verse 25. Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scripture. Drop down to verse 31. Their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and they vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were our hearts not burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us? That they still don't fully get it. Uh, they're still having a hard time believing. And when he shows up physically, they still don't understand, and they still don't believe it's him. So he takes some food uh, and, and eats with them to show them that he's real. He's not a spirit. He's not a phantom. He eats broiled fish. Uh, drop down to verse 44. Now he said to them, these things are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Again, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's illumination. He opened their minds. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name uh, to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The doctrine of illumination. Now, illumination is different from two other related theological terms that I need to introduce to you. One is revelation, and the second one is inspiration. <clears throat> revelation and inspiration. Revelation is really the act by which God makes known that which is otherwise unknowable. The act by which God makes known which is otherwise unknowable. A lot of theologians would call it special revelation. Natural revelation, as I read in Psalm 19 this morning, natural revelation is that what can be observed by nature or in nature. Experience the fact that God is there. He's a creator. He's powerful. I mean, all this thing came into existence. He's a God who loves beauty and order because you see it in creation. But there's not enough information in natural revelation that is specific enough to bring a person to a knowledge of the truth in redemption. So God gave clear, unmistakable, special revelation in the scripture. And again, in special revelation, that's God's gift of grace. It's motivated by him, uh, to us, by him because of his love. He, he wants to disclose truth to men so they would understand the truth and be saved. And it's the person of the Holy Spirit who, who really is the agent of that revelation. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, and the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Them in the context is really all things concerning eternal wisdom, eternal uh, God's uh, eternal wisdom concerning salvation. It, he revealed them through the Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit is the one who, who is the one who's competent enough to understand and reveal all of God's truth because he's the one, the only one who can search the depths of God because he himself is God. He's omniscient. Therefore, he knows the mind of God. He knows mind, uh, God's mind perfectly. But it's only by way of revelation, by through, through God's gracious, sovereign choice, that we can know his will and we can know how to be saved, and it comes by way of special revelation. So again, revelation is the process by which God imparts truth to men which could otherwise not be known. Right? How would we know what happened in, in the early days of creation? Because since no man was there, right? Nobody would know what happened in Genesis 1 and 2 or chapter 3 because man wasn't created, right? So we wouldn't know what happened on day one and day two, uh, and, and man wasn't created until day six. So God, by his revelation, gives men that knowledge to know because he wants them to know the origins. We wouldn't understand propitiation. We wouldn't know how uh, God reconciles himself unless he explains it to us, and he does that in Romans 3, etc., and so forth. In, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, The th secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of his law. God wants to be known. God is a revealer of men, a revealer to men. He wants men to have a relationship with him. So you have revelation. And the next word that you need to know is the word inspiration. Inspiration. Uh, it, it's a vehicle through which special revelation comes to men. It, it's the process by, God's, by which God's revelation becomes inscripturated. That's the best word I could come up with. Look over to First uh, Peter. Make it Second Peter. 
Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one verse twenty. Peter says this. Second Peter one verse twenty says, "Know this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation." Now, prophecy used there in the context is not in the sense of necessarily predictions of the future, but it's really the sense of the prophetic foretelling. It's the speaking the message of God's word, God's truth. Know this first of all that no prophecy is a matter of one's own interpretation, or the New uh, English translation says. Uh, is not a matter of one's own imagination. I, I kind of like that. You say, what, what's the source of Scripture? Where, what's the source of Scripture? Where does it come from? No prophecy, no Scripture is a matter of one's own imagination. So he says, look, Scripture doesn't come out or come into being or originate or arise from men. No, no Scripture, none of the holy writings, Old Testament, New Testament, came into existence as false teaching does. And there's been a lot of false teachers. Number in the Old Testament, number in the New Testament era, number today. They just make it up. He's saying, look, the message of the Scripture is not made up. It's not from the mind of men. It's not from human origin or human imagination. Scripture doesn't come from any human source. Verse 21, no prophecy was ever made by an act of the human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, that word moved means to be carried along or to carry by some to carry some burden. It's really the, uh, the word has the connotation of a ship being blown along by the wind. So what Peter is saying is the message of the Bible uh, never has been the product of the mind or the will of men, but men moved along under the power of the Holy Spirit. They spoke forth the word of God. That's inspiration. And inspiration has been defined like this, the Holy Spirit superintending over the biblical writers so that while writing according to their own styles and personalities, the result was God's written word authoritative, trustworthy, and free from error in the original autographs. Another writer says, Divine inspiration logically flows from divine revelation. In revelation, God speaks to man's ear, while in inspiration, he guides the pen to ensure that the imparted message is correctly written down. Inspiration. You can turn there or just listen. I know you're familiar with it. Second, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All graphe, all scripture. Inspired, theophanustus, it really means God breathed out. God breathed, literally the very breath of God. Scripture is the very breath of God. He's saying, look, when God speaks, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. All scripture, the breathed out word of God is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or adequate, perfect, thoroughly equipped. The Bible says that sometimes God used the writers of the, uh, of the scripture. He told them exactly what to say. Exodus 4.12, now go and I will even be with your mouth and teach you what you're to say. Uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 7, uh, everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am here to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. Sometimes God told the prophetic writer the exact words. Most of the time he just used their minds, their vocabularies, 
uh, their experiences, again, of the biblical writers, to produce his own infallible, inerrant word. Infallible meaning trustworthy, no, no, uh, no falsehood. Inerrant, no errors in it. So 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired to breathe that word of God and profitable. It, it really is one of the greatest uh, um, texts of the scripture, or anywhere in the scripture, of the God's sovereignty. God supernaturally works through sinful men, fallible men, and produces his own holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, infallible, without falsehood, inerrant, without any errors. It, it's, the divine, it's the doctrine of divine inspiration. And again, divine inspiration naturally leads to infallibility, and, and it also naturally leads to the doctrine of inerrancy. If you were to look in our doctrinal statement, it says that we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible. Verbal meaning the, the words, not just the thoughts, not just the concepts, but the very words are inscripturated. They're, they're by God. Plenary just means all of it. All of the scripture is inspired by God. All of the scripture is the God-breathed-out word. So again, when we're confident of the fact that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, things which we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. So these are the ministries of the Holy Spirit when it comes to the issue of the Word. These three uh, ministries must not be confused. If you get them in error, uh, you, you, you get them wrong, you get all kinds of error. Biblical revi- uh, the biblical writers receive revelation from God when he speaks, and when he speaks, that's the inspired Scripture. And we receive the illumination of the Holy Spirit that makes the Scripture alive to us. That's why we understand it, and people around us uh, who, who aren't believers don't. You read something and go, well, that's just so wonderful. It's so encouraging to my heart. And an unbeliever goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's a bunch of nonsense. And we need to understand that, that, that uh, illumination is not the reception of new revelation because there is no new revelation. Truth has already been revealed. You should look just so you make sure I'm doing it right. Go to the book of Jude. Verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary to write you appealing that you should contend for the truth which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who are long before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. He said, look, I really wanted to write a nice letter, but i got to reach you an instructional teacher write you an instructional letter to correct some error that's going on here. I felt the necessity, verse 3, to write you appealing that you contend, you fight for, you fight earnestly, and then he says, for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. It's a straightforward declaration. There's no continual revelation. The faith, the body of knowledge concerning the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's been delivered once for all. Uh, the Greek word there, hapax, from, uh, it refers to something that is done for all time with a lasting result, never needing to be repeated. Once for all, the faith. Fight for, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered. And that word there in the Greek, delivered, is an act that is completed in the past with no continuing element. Uh, again, he's saying the content of faith is over. There's nothing new. There's nothing mysterious coming. George Lawler, in his commentary on the book of Jude, says this, The Christian faith is unchangeable, which is not to say that men and women of every generation do not need to find it, experience, and live it, but it does mean that every new doctrine that arrives, even though its legitimacy may be plausibly asserted, is a false doctrine. All claims to convey some additional revelation to that which has been given by God in this body of truth are false, and those claims must be rejected. Fight for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The content of our faith has been delivered. The only problem is there are certain people who crept in long before who were marked out for condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness, and then they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They deny the truth. So we desperately need the truth, and God in his kindness has allowed us to have the truth. Revelation, inspiration, illumination. And we all desperately need the work of illumination of the Holy Spirit because the unsaved man can't understand the word of God. He's blinded by his fleshly nature and he's blinded by Satan himself. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised, spiritually discerned. If you don't have the Spirit, you can't hear. In a very crass example um, there are FM signals running through this room on a variety of different channels. And unless you have an FM receiver implanted in your forehead or in one of your teeth, you can't hear any of it. Right? You just can't hear it, but it's out there. You have to have the right receiver. You have to have the person of the Holy Spirit to understand spiritual things. Because that's what he does. He wants people to know. The natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolish to them. He can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised. 2 Corinthians 4.3 If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Mankind's internal corruption and Satan's activity to blind men to the truth. There's only way that people can understand the truth is by the Holy Spirit. The Bible, as it comes to us, is from a different dimension. It's the God-breathed-out word. A natural man, and again, on his own, can't understand it. It makes no sense to him. But listen, the whole point of this morning's passage is we can. And that's by God's kindness. We can understand. Believers understand the truth. Now, I'm going to have you keep turning around. You're going to go, oh, you're crazy. We're going to turn all over the place. I go, put your finger back in John, or at least know where John is. Right? John chapter 14. Verse 26, the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He'll bring remembrance, your remembrance, all things that I said to you. Now, again, that last phrase, I think, is especially important for the disciples before the Lord because it's the Holy Spirit's going to enable these guys to recall the words that Jesus spoke to them so they could take the pen, record it down, that we, that we might have in our hands perfect, error-free uh, um, the word of God. Uh, again, that's the promise of divine inspiration, divine inerrancy, divine uh, accuracy, 
Uh, again, inerrancy is the essential aspect of the authority of God's word. When you give up inerrancy, look, when you say there might be errors in the Bible, when you give up inerrancy, you give up inspiration. And when you give up inerrancy, you give up inspiration, all it does is lead to errors and compromise. All you have to do is go back to the first part of the tape and listen to the five errors that I just read that the church now embraces because it has rejected the truth. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things. Again, all things is used in the relative sense, of meaning all the things containing, concerning, uh, 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 concerning salvation, all things pertaining to spiritual maturity. Now, again, real quick, just one more. So keep, keep a mark there so you can go to that back real quickly. But turn over to 1 John. 1 John, chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 20. First John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. The ESV says you have all knowledge. NIV says, and all of you know the truth. King James says you know all things. You have an anointing and you know all. What, what, what is the anointing? Well, it's the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the source of our understanding of the scripture. Drop down to verse 27. And as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. That's how you know we're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. We've received him and now he dwells within us or he abides in us. And then he says, you have no need for anyone to teach you. Well, does that mean we don't need human teachers? Some people go to that extreme. Does that mean we don't need spirit-filled, believing human teachers? Well, that's not can't possibly be the case because the Lord himself is the one who give, has given to the church, Ephesians 4, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, and the building up of the body of Christ. So it can't mean that we don't need human teachers. What does it mean? When he says this, when he says you have no need for anyone to teach you, he's saying you don't need any kind of human wisdom or human philosophy. You don't need the Bible plus something else. You don't need anything else or anyone else to teach you other than that what God has revealed to you through his word and that which the Holy Spirit uses to bring you to a knowledge of the truth because it's the Holy Spirit who dwells within you who teaches you about his truth and he teaches you about truth, not lies. The world, starting the beginning of the, of the lecture, where was the, where's the world? It's all under the power of the evil one. There's only two sources of information, divinely inspired from God or Satan and his kingdom. <clears throat> There's not a third choice. It's that clear cut. And if it's not coming from this book, it's not divinely inspired. His anointing teaches you all things what is true and not a lie, just as, it, he, just as it taught you and you abide in him. It's the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. So we have the great privilege of having the person of the Holy Spirit living within us and dwelling us, teaching us, leading us to all truth, guiding us to see in an even, great, in even greater realities the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. Now go back to that John 14 and I'll, I'll wrap the whole thing up. John 14, verse uh, 26. The helper... When he comes, right, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, again, I said primarily this concerns first order, the disciples, 11 disciples in front of him. But obviously it's very much applicable to us because we need to be taught. Right? The Holy Spirit is the teacher of the disciples. He teaches us as well. And when he tells these men the Holy Spirit will come and teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, again, uh, in God's kindness, we need to know what happened. How old do you think John was when he wrote this? How old do you think John was when all this happened in the book of John? I don't know. Jesus was probably 30, 33. John must have been a younger guy. Have right, I told you this before? Some people think 18, 20, maybe under 30. How do you know that? book of Revelation was written when? 90. 30 years, 60 years later. He couldn't have been an old man at this time it was going on. He had to be a relatively young man. How does he remember all these things? Most scholars would say that the book of John was probably written somewhere around 80 to 90 A.D. How does he remember all the conversations? How does he remember Jesus said this? How does he remember we didn't understand this, but now we understood it after? It's the person of the Holy Spirit. They needed that kind of wisdom to to write God's word down so that we would come to a knowledge of the truth and remembrance of the exact things that God had said. Just like we weren't there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, but God has given us that revelation. We weren't there. God, in his kindness to the person of the Holy Spirit, remembered, calls into their mind. I'll send you the helper of the Holy Spirit. He'll send you my name. He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That's why the doctrine of inspiration is vital. Holy Spirit's going to continue to teach them not only truth, but doctrinal truth. He's going to continue to bring back to their minds the exact things that Christ had said and taught during his earthly ministry so that we might have an accurate revelation of that truth. And again, that's applicable to us, not only them. He will teach you all things, right? Not just the loving, but us. He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. You read the Bible and you study the Bible, you learn the Bible, and you think all of a sudden, I need to know where that verse is, and all of a sudden it pops into your mind, right? How does that happen? It's the person of the Holy Spirit reminding, bringing to your remembrance what you'd read earlier. He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And again, it's past tense. He's saying, look, the Holy Spirit's not bringing any new, do- new revelation, new doctrine. Holy Spirit today isn't teaching us anything but the same message he taught the disciples when he spoke these truths. He's not bringing anything new. He's bringing to your knowledge the remembrance of the truth, the old truth, old doctrine. Doctrine of man's total inability to help himself in spiritual things, the truth about our sin, the truth about God's grace in Christ. The doctrines of justification and sanctification and glorification, the teaching on forgiveness of sin, the teaching on life and death, the teaching on the church, etc. and so forth. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He teaches the truth. And he keeps bringing the truth up into our hearts and to our minds so that we have an understanding. We understand God's unfailing perseverance of his people. We understand that God creates within us at salvation a new spirit. We are a new creation in Christ. We understand that, Christ, that God through uh, the person of the Holy Spirit is conforming us more and more to the image of Christ. Those aren't new doctrines. Those are old doctrines. And the Holy Spirit continues to illumine our minds. We have greater and greater depths of understanding, greater and greater depths of uh, remembrance of those things. So that tells us also, when it says, look, the teacher is going to bring you all things and remembrance all that I said. Again, coming to understand the Bible is not just merely an intellectual pursuit. It's a spiritual issue. 
That's why we need to continue to pray for illumination. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I might behold the wonderful things from your law. Now open my eyes, right? I, I want to understand. And you know that when you study the scripture and the more you study, the more you understand that truth. I always like to use the illustration with the guys. It's like, like a, a, a coloring page. You know, the, the outline is there on the coloring page. And, and the more we understand the truth, the colors get darker and firmer and more the, the, the lines get more bold. We understand truth deeper and deeper. That's the illuminating work of the person of the Holy Spirit, whose word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That's him. He continues to teach us. He continues to help us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, truth that we didn't understand at one time, but now we do. It's God's Spirit that makes it more and more clear to us. God's Spirit who points us continually to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when I say we need to be growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should not be just growing only in intellectual understanding. We really should be growing in our love for him. The more we know him, the more we should love him. And when it comes to teaching others, we need the Holy Spirit. I mean, we, we just, you just can't sit down with an unbeliever and pound truth into them. They, they, they don't have the reception. They don't have the FM receiver. They can't get it. We can't make people believe in the, in the flesh. Can't present truth in the power of our flesh. That's why Paul says, look, <clears throat> to the Corinthians, they say, when I came to you, I didn't come to superiority speech of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not with pervasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I think we should remember that more. We're not going to intellectually convince anybody into the kingdom. We need to proclaim the gospel, right? Isn't it the gospel that awakens the dead? You have a dog laying alongside the road who's dead. You tell him to sit, get up, move out of the way. He can't receive what you're telling them. Dead persons can't receive a knowledge of the truth that leads to salvation, that the fact that they're sinners is desperate before a holy God, unless the gospel is proclaimed to them, that you're in a whole lot of trouble because you live in a universe with a holy God and you're going to face his judgment. In fact, judgment is being unloaded and revealed right now. Just look at the culture. On one level, while there is a spirit of delusion and people believe lies on all levels, there couldn't be a better time in history to declare the truth because the darkness is so dark, just a little bit of light can't help but shine brightly in a room, right? You could go and say, oh, what was me and hide in a corner? And we say, look, what a great opportunity the Lord has given me uh, for this day in which I live to proclaim the truth. Because men are perishing, desperately in need of the truth. And it's only the gospel that saves men from the error uh, of uh, their own fallen nature and the error of Satan himself. And we've been given, again, the great privilege of having this book in a language that we can understand and know because God wants us to know the truth. And the more we're guided by the truth, the more we love the truth, the more we study the truth, the more we allow the truth to speak into our own hearts, going to richly inform our worship. We're going to find ourselves not discouraged and depressed like everybody else in the culture, but we're going to find ourselves... Uh, speaking hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord, right? His praise is always connected to our theology, and the more we know about God and his kindness through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we trust God, trust his word, 
Keep on believing in God. Keep on believing in Christ. Thanking the triune God we're never alone and dwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit, one who loves us and promised never to leave us or forsake us. We can praise and worship him. Let not your heart be troubled. Verse 27, we'll get to next week, Lord willing, says, Peace I live with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled. Only place you can find peace is in the truth. And that truth takes us to the person of God and the person of Christ.